Thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. On this episode, <clears throat> I'm going to continue the series going through the Book of Judges using a historical grammatical and redemptive historical hermeneutic. So I uh, just had a bunch of questions uh, from my work on Genesis about what this would look like uh, going through a certain book of the Bible. And I thought the book of Judges, which is a very interesting one when it comes to historical backgrounds, would be a good one. So in the last episode, I gave the introduction and the background commentary and the historical setting and all that. And now we're going to get into the exposition of the book itself. So I hope you enjoy the show. <laughs> So in understanding any book, we always need to understand what the theme or the driving motivation is behind the book itself. We talked last time about whether it's pro-monarchy or anti-monarchy, so on and so forth. But either way, there still is a strong theme that runs through the book of Judges. And that theme is that there's a lack of godly leadership that results in the failure of Israel to accomplish her mission in taking the Holy Land. So Israel's mission was uh, an act of judgment by God among the Canaanites or upon the Canaanites uh, to bring about the extermination of the Canaanites and their culture. It was, again, an act of judgment. Um, it was uh, it, it was Israel becoming a separate people living in the land to the glory of God. So, But to, to do that, they, they have to get rid of the Canaanites in order to remain separate and obedient to the law of God while they're living in the land. They would need to have success, uh, right? Success would serve a priestly role. They would be a, a light to the nations. We see that in Deuteronomy 4 through 6. And the nations would see the good law of God when they looked at Israel. That was part of Israel's purpose. Nations would also come to Israel to learn about God and then to take that back to their own countries. Now, this was only fulfilled in one period of all of Israel's history, and that's in the early reign of Solomon. And we see that in the, in the example of the Queen of Sheba coming uh, to Solomon to seek his wisdom. But the problem was, is that there was just massive failure on the part of of Israel. So it starts off Joshua breaks the back of the enemy during his campaign, right? So uh, Joshua during his campaign into the Holy Land, they largely took uh, most of the, the major cities, most of the outposts. Uh, these are again military outposts for the most part. And the, the book of Judges is meant to chronicle 
the time period where the, the, the tribes were to go in and kind of finish off the cleanup job in their different allotted land. So we see in uh, in one one and 2.8 that both mention the, je- the death of Joshua. Now, uh, 1.1 to 2.5 and 2.6 to 3.6 are two of the major sections in the book uh, uh, of Judges, and so we'll, we'll look through those. So 1.1 through 2.7, uh, it recapitulates the military failures of Israel, right? So, so it, it wants you to look and ask the questions, is Israel successful in taking the land? Is Israel successful in waging holy war? That is, in trusting God to fight on her behalf, right? Were they, were they going in trusting in their own power now to conquer these other nations? Or were they trusting in, in God to fight on their behalf like they had under, uh, under Joshua? Uh, is Israel successful in carrying out what's called the ban or the harem, right? The, the, the holy war in removing and dislocating the wicked Canaanites from the land. Now, there are some early victories for Judah and Simeon, right? We see in verse in 1-7, there's victory over Bezek. In 1-8, there's victory over Jerusalem, which is, which is short-lived, uh, as we see the Jebusites ruling over it later on in the book itself. Uh, in 110, we see the victory over the Anakites in Hebron. And in 111 to 15, we see the victory over Debir. Debir. Now, uh, there are some early problems, right? So we see some of these early victories from uh, 17 to 115. <clears throat> but in, uh, in 119, we start to see the rise of some problems, right? The lowlands had chariots, right? They're told they're not able to take the lowlands because they had iron chariots. The reader reading that is supposed to ask, well, I mean, should that matter, right? When you look at the victories of Joshua, where he was grossly outnumbered, grossly outgunned, but where God fought for them and they had victory, like they marched around the city of, <laughs> right? If you're if you're reading through, through Joshua in the text, they marched around the city and sh- for seven days and shouted and the walls came down. Now, uh, so should it should it really matter that the, in the lowlands they had some iron chariots, right? You're supposed to already start seeing that there was there was some problems in the in the faith and how Israel was waging these wars and whether or not they were they were trusting in God or not. In in 121, Benjamin could not drive the Jebusites out of Jerusalem, right? Ju- and you have to remember, Judah likely defeated the city, but but not the surrounding suburbs, right? Because you you already have some early victories in Jerusalem back. Back in 1.8. So this is this is uh, in, in 121 and, and Benjamin not being able to drive out the Jebusites. Really, it looks like they're not able to dislodge them uh, from the surrounding kind of, uh, you know, sub- what we would call suburban. Uh, but, you know, these tiny little townships around the area were out in the quote unquote wilderness, right? If you think about a wilderness, whenever you read the wilderness in the Old Testament, wilderness in Israel is not like what we consider like in the United States is like a massive forest, right? It's like a tree and like 20 yards away is another tree, right? So, but but when you read the wilderness, that that's really what it's talking about. It's kind of these uninhabited lands, but but Benjamin wasn't kind of able to to dislodge them. Probably, you know, they're probably using some guerrilla tactics and so on. And they couldn't couldn't get rid of them. The rest of the chapter uh, show uh, that, that a lot of the other tribes fail too, right? So Manasseh, Naphtali, Zebulun, Asher, Dan, Ephraim, right? They all they all fail in their conquests 
as well. And you see this shift that happens in, in, in between 19 and, and 121, where it shifts from this idea of conquest to coexistence, right? So they've already started to lose the, 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 the command of God to drive out the Canaanites entirely from the land. And they start rather they start going from uh, from driving them out from from uh, from carrying out the ban to trying to subjugate the people to forced labor, um, which also was uh, somewhat uh, against the, the the Old Testament law, um, as we've discussed in other episodes. So one twenty one, we see an emphasis on Benjamin living among the Canaanites in the land. Um, so we, we have this, we, you know, in, in 121, we have this movement already away from coexisting into living among and residing with and coexisting with the Canaanites, which just, which just wasn't to be done. Right. So in 121, it reads, but the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the sons of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day, right? And that, that should actually be a, kind of a strong condemnation. Like, hey, they weren't able to drive them out. The author writing this, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later is saying, look, and we're still living with the ramifications of that to this day. Uh, in 2, 1 through 5, we see a reproach f- against Israel for breaking her covenant with God, right? So 2, 1 through 5 reads, now, the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? Right? No, notice that the claim was that you won't make a covenant and you won't uh, with the inhabitants of the land, and you'll tear down this alt the altars, right? So the, the condemnation isn't even hey you you're supposed to drive them out, but you haven't even driven them out, right? It's that you not only haven't driven them out, you you've started to engage in covenants with them. You you haven't removed their altars. You 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 are you are really uh, kind of kind of becoming this this pluralistic society where you're 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 enmeshing with these other cultures. And he goes on, therefore, I said also, I will not drive them out before you, right? So notice the not driving out is actually, it's not that the Israelites failed to drive them out. And so God is punishing them. It's that they came in and decided to be syncretistic with them and engage in covenant with them and, and, and engage in, in idolatrous worship with them. And so therefore God won't drive them out. Right? Some people miss this. Some people think that it was because they failed to drive them out that they're being punished. But no, the failure to drive them out is actually the punishment. Uh, uh, therefore, I said to you, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your side and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named the place Bochum and there they sacrificed to the Lord. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance to possess the land. Right? So, so notice that there's no answer given to this. 
right? That the, they 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 weep and they and they voice, but there's there's no there's no there, there doesn't seem to be any change in the program, right? So so you know the 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 question for this becomes well, I mean. I, <laughs> God could have overcome the iron chariots. God could have driven these people out, but he didn't because they had already started to harden their heart to God. They've already started to engage in in syncretistic practices, right? The, so 2.6 two, to 3.6 then show that this is because there are some spirits, major spiritual failures on the part of Israel, right? Um, by the way, abstractly, the narrative itself in this section lays out a template for the book as a whole where what's going on happens throughout the book over and over and over again. It's narrated from Yahweh's perspective, from his point of view. It begins by talking about the faithfulness of Joshua, that Israel was faithful while Joshua was alive, but then a generation rose up that did not follow Israel. And then you see this cyclical pattern that happens, right? So you have faithful under the leader, right? So the faithfulness of the leader, they're faithful under the leader. A generation rises up that didn't know uh, or follow Yahweh. And then the cyclical pattern happens where you have apostasy followed by oppression, followed by a retrospective. God raises up uh, a deliverer for his people. There's success for a period of time. And then it happens all over again, right? So in two eleven to thirteen, you have you have the the so sorry in this section of uh, of two six to three six, you have this cycle that happens. So two eleven to thirteen, you have the apostasy that happens, right? So you have the early on this mention of jo- being under Joshua, and there's a faithful for a time. Uh, but then in two eleven, you have the statement uh, that the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord and the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed the gods of among uh, follow the gods of Egypt, uh, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed their gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves to them, and and, and so on and so forth. So you have this 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 apostasy that happens. The people do evil in the eyes of of the Lord by, 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 by giving in and serving these other gods of the people around them, right? The, the, the Baals and the Ashtaroth and, and, and so on and so forth. Then we're told that the oppression follows, right? So, so we, normally there's some type of statement about the anger of the Lord burning against Israel and that he gives them over to the hand of the blank, right? And in this case, the, the 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 hands of the blank in whatever cycle it is there, there's this interesting thing that happens of whatever gods Israel starts to apostasy with in that narrative and in that little that, that that specific cycle those people are exactly the people who then oppress Israel right so 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 they give in to to a certain uh, to a certain tribe uh, to, to worship their gods. And then the Lord hands them over, and that nation that Israel had gone after their gods is the one that ends up conquering and oppressing Israel uh, herself. So you see that uh, in in two fourteen uh, and following. <clears throat> in two eighteen, there, there then is a retrospective. Right, Israel then feeling oppressed cries out to the Lord, cries out in repentance, right? The the Hebrew term za'ak can mean repentance, but it can also mean a crying out in agony, right? It, this is, it, it, 
as the book goes, it seems to be less and less repentance uh, and more and more agony. And we'll, we'll talk about there's all these little cyclical downward spirals that are that are happening at the same time. So you have this this cyclical pattern. But you also have, and we'll see, uh, there's this downward spiral that happens where it gets worse. The judges get less influential, and, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. Uh, but but there's also this downward where the repentance becomes less and less clear, uh, and just the, the 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 selfish agony becomes more and more clear as it goes. Uh, in 2.15 to 18, we see again, God raises up a deliverer to deliver uh, the people. Or Early in the book, the result is that the land had rest. For a certain number of years, right? So it seems that part of what happened during the apostasy is they stop again celebrating the Sabbath. They stop giving the land its Sabbath rest. It stopped resting on the Sabbath. They stopped giving the fields the Sabbath rest that were required. And so during the period of the deliverer, there's kind of this sense that there's a Ah, there's a breathing period. There's a there's a rest that happens not only among the people but in the land itself. And it gives it for a certain number of years. After that rest, the cycle starts over throughout the book, right? So, so later on in Judges, the pattern uh, also starts to intensify and change that it's not just the cycle. It's, again, a downward spiral. Every time it happens, it actually gets a little bit worse than the time before. The Judges get less influential that is that less people help them. You will see as it goes that the judges start off uh, with, with, you know, with uh, Ehud uh, is delivered and he has this entire army behind him. You know, uh, uh, Gibeon has the, the, the army. It whittles down to 300 all the way, all the way down to it's Samson all by himself. Um, so it, he gets less, they get less and less influential over the people itself. Um, and they have less positive results. So you'll see the time frames of how effective they are starts to dwindle as well. Um, so they're not as there, there isn't peace for as many years as it goes. Samson, for example, is the worst judge. Uh, he delivers Israel, it looks like, for, from the Philistines largely for selfish reasons <laughs> to, to, to have him be able to go out in a blaze of glory uh, and there's really not much rest afterwards. And so Samson actually, uh, even though he ends up you know, in the Hall of Faith, is, uh, is actually the worst of the judges when it comes to this literary style. Uh, all, all of this is a result of Israel not driving out the Canaanites and, and living as a separate and holy nation, right? This all happens because they fail to, to complete that mission. They, they become assimilated and they live as if they're Canaanites, right? So, so there's, this, there's this stark irony of they are supposed to come and their, their main mission is to not be like the Canaanites, but every single time they become like the Canaanites. You see this in Judges uh, 3, 5 through 6, right, where it says, The sons of, of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods, right? They're, they're intermarrying. They're becoming indistinguishable. They're serving their gods Right, so so rather than bring, rather than being a light to the Canaanites, right, the Canaanites have sucked them in. 
They, they've 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 gone in the exact opposite direction of what their their mandate uh, was, and we and we see we see this kind of becoming like the Canaanites as a major theme, right? I mean, kind of almost like a major anti theme that's in the book, right? They are supposed to not do this, but they do this. Right, so we'll notice some of these things that are never really mentioned in the book, right? Um, so the things that were supposed to be uh, 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 paradigmatic of what it was, what it meant to be an Israelite, right? So the tabernacle never mentioned, uh, the priesthood, the, the the Levitical priesthood is is never mentioned except in incorrect ways. So for example, the Levite at the end of the book, when you read about the Levite, you are supposed to be shocked at how non-Levitical this Levite is. He is he is far from where the tabernacle would have been, far from the capital. He's basically functioning as uh, as a as an in-home uh, on-call priest, like a like a shaman also, like a like a like a a paid family priest just to bring bring them. He he is not following law. He's not following. You know, he's a, he's a terrible example. And by the time we get to Samuel, we see that Eli and his two sons are basically just renegades, right? And you have to remember they are it's the, the the early chapters of Samuel. Samuel are in this period of the judges. So by the time you get to them, they're they're just they're just renegade priests. They 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 are uh, they are uh, not. Um, they are not following any of what we would consider uh, the Levitical calling that we see throughout the Pentateuch. Uh, there's no mention of the Passover. Uh, there's no mention, remember, that the, the Urim and Thummim uh, are meant to be one of the ways that the, the, the leaders in the military seek the, the direction of the Lord, when, especially when it comes to military campaigns. Uh, you see no mention of the Urim and Thummim throughout this entire book, despite the fact that there are multiple military campaigns. Uh, and over and over again, you just, you just see this entire bad spiritual state of, of the people. Um, we also see that the, the presence of the angel of the Lord. Um, which is interesting coming coming out of uh, coming out of chapter uh, uh, in chapter three, right? So um, there's this question about uh, the angel of the Lord. Why why would the angel of the Lord uh, come from Gilgal? Right. We're we're told that the angel of the Lord came from Gilgal. Right. But I mean, it's not like the angel of the Lord lives in Gilgal. Right, it, it it's you know that's that's not where like where the angel Lord has like his summer home, right? So so why why are we told expressly, just randomly in the text, that the angel of the Lord uh, comes up from Gilgal to the people in Bochum, right? So we read this in two one. That that's where that's where he came from. Well, the cross cross reference seems to be to Joshua five, Joshua five nine. Uh, says says uh, let's get a running start uh, from five eight. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, "Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now at Gilgal." is where the people made the covenant with the Lord and they're re-circumcised before they enter the land, right? So God tells them that he's rolled away the reproach of Egypt from them, right? Gil Gilgal just means to roll or to roll away. Now, 
It was it was where God showed them grace and forgave them of their sins. He's taken away their reproach. He's forgiven them. When the angel of the Lord came from Gilgal, it was a reminder of the redemptive and saving work of God in the face of their sin. Right. So so it's saying God is God is coming. Right. You are living in sin in Bochum. You have you have rejected God. You've started chasing after these other gods. God is coming from the place where you recovenanted, where you were forgiven, uh, where you reestablished your covenant with God, where he took away your reproach. God's still there. God hasn't isn't the one that has moved. You are the one that has moved away from them, uh, away, away from the Lord. Right. The, the, this you have to remember that there's this Old Testament tension within the covenant. Right. There's there's this there's this conditional element, which is that obedience to the covenant brings blessing and disobedience to the covenant brings curses. Right. But there's also this unconditional element uh, of of the covenant where God promises that he will always be faithful to the promise that he made to Abraham. Right, so there's conditionality that brings blessings and curses, but the covenant will remain because God will remain faithful to the promises that he made to Abraham. So, but there's this tension that comes up from that, right? So how can God be holy and punish the sin, right? That, how, how can God, for God to be holy, he has to punish the sin of Israel. And yet, how can he be faithful and keep the inheritance to Abraham, right? Because because if God was entirely holy and punished the sin of Israel, Israel would be wiped off the map. But God has promised to be faithful and keep an inheritance to Abraham. So how can God, there's this tension that happens, how can God be holy and yet faithful at the same time? So the angel is coming to remind them of their covenant with Yahweh that they violated, but a reminder that he will be faithful. <clears throat> right? So so he he is not going to drive his his punishment is he is not going to drive out the Canaanites. Right? They that that is their that they are being punished for their sin, but God will keep a remnant. This is where <clears throat> this is where we start seeing the remnant theology kick in in the Old Testament, right? So 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 Israel is going to be oppressed Right, he's not going to drive the people out. He's going to be oppressed. They're going to they're going to be subjugated. But God will spare a remnant and redeem them. And this 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 oppression remnant uh, redeem cycle will continue throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And is ultimately uh, uh, it, this tension is uh, right. So you, so you have this tension. It drives this need for repentance and sacrifice. This tension is ultimately resolved in Jesus Christ, right? In Jesus Christ is where you see the full wrath and holiness of God. The full wrath of God against all sin is poured out on Christ. And yet because of his faithfulness, there is forgiveness and salvation and a remnant is saved and spared because of Christ's faithfulness. And so ultimately, God has to actually be the one that meets both the condition and the unconditional. That's why in the covenant ceremony with Abraham, uh, God basically puts Abraham in a little bit of a sleeping coma. And God himself is the one who splits the animal. And he is the one who walks through and says, ultimately, 
I will be I will be faithful to the promises, but I will also be the one that this uh, this is ultimately conditioned on. Yes, there's conditionals uh, there's conditional to bring about uh, you know g- blessings and curses on this side of heaven, but I am not going to leave the ultimate fate of my people in the in their hands because they they are fickle. They'll walk away. Ultimately, this is this is kept. The conditionality is conditioned upon Jesus Christ and His love and His faithfulness. But God's wrath is satisfied right so this is why in the angel of the lord uh there's there's actually this 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 biblical theological motif that the angel of the lord is god himself some people actually think it's a it's a christophany it's what's called a weophany uh we weos is the is the greek word for son so it's a sonophany it's a it's an early manifestation a non-incarnational manifestation of the son coming to earth but even if you don't go that far this this seems to be a theophany because the angel of the Lord says, I am the one who brought you up out of Egypt. Well, we know that Yahweh is the one that brought uh, them up out of Egypt. And so uh, this, is, this is God coming down, right? So there's, there's Christ kind of bleeding throughout this entire, this entire section. And then we are told um, that the people that oppress them will become what are called thorns and snares, right? Thorns and snares. Now, we, sometimes we, we don't understand the difference between these thorns are something that is is directly harmful right the 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 canaanites are going to oppress people they are going to hurt you they will be a thorn in your flesh but they're also going to be snares for you right think think of a snare a snare is a trap that you set to catch your prey right something that the 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 people that god is not driving out are going to be uh, there to tempt them into sin. God is putting them there to be thorns and snares. They will be tempted into sin. Their gods will become idols for Israelite and lead them away from the proper worship of God. It's going to uh, forever uh, push um, uh, if, you know, forever, for, not forever because Christ comes, but d- during this, during these cycles, during the book of Judges and, and, and through the Old Testament context, the nations and their gods will continue to be snares, to continue to, to tempt them into sin, to continue to tempt them to idolatry away from God because it drives this cycle of the need for repentance. This is almost like a second use of the law where it drives them to understand that they need Christ and him crucified. They need the blood. They need repentance. They need mercy. They need the, the, the propitiation that comes from the blood of the sacrifice that God has provided, again, ultimately um, uh, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So uh, that, that covers uh, the, the, first, the first section, uh, first exposition, right? So that, 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 that covers the failure of the conquest. Next time, we'll start getting into some of these actual cycles of apostasy and deliverance when, when we get through that whole section. So thank you again for joining me. Uh, hopefully, uh, you enjoyed, you're enjoying this series. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you can reach out at freedthinker at gmail.com. Visit the blog at freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com or join in the discussion at the Freed Thinker podcast uh, group page on Facebook. Thank you again for joining. Good night and God bless.